1: Our scripture reading for today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love And make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the first Harry Potter book and movie, we meet the orphan Harry Potter, who is living with his quite dreadful Aunt Petunia, Uncle Vernon, and Cousin Dudley. And around his 11th birthday, it was actually in July... Um, he received an invitation. A letter was delivered to him by an owl, inviting him to attend Hogwarts school. To Harry's surprise, he finds out that there's this whole wizarding world out there that he knows nothing about. Come to find out, his deceased parents both attended Hogwarts, and they were part of this wizarding world Harry's aunt and uncle want him to have nothing to do with that section of the world, and so they destroy his invitation, and Harry thinks all is lost. Well, day by day, more and more invitations come to the house, filling the house, inviting Harry to attend this school. It's only when the half-giant Hagrid shows up that Harry is finally allowed to answer the call to go to Hogwarts. The invitation that he receives is more than just an acceptance letter to a school. It's actually an invitation for Harry to be part of a wizarding community, to return home in many senses, to reconnect with the legacy of his parents, and to form a new chosen family with the friends that he will make. Harry is called Answering that call transforms his life and eventually transforms the whole wizarding community. Think about other great epics and stories that you love. Lord of the Rings, The Avengers, Chronicles of Narnia. These epic tales all share the same concept of a hero or heroes being called to a community greater than the individual self. At its most basic definition, a call is an invitation from beyond ourselves that offers us an opportunity to respond. Callings can look different depending on our circumstance. A job opportunity may call you to move across the country the health situation of a family member may call you to take on a new role, the role of a caregiver. Some calls are wanted and anticipated. Engagements, marriages, births. Those are anticipated and, ex- and those are exciting calls that we look forward to in life. But if we're honest, there are also calls in life that we do not want. We actually try to avoid with every fiber of our being. Sickness and death. Pain. Calls become a way of life that move us forward beyond our present situation. They change us. And they may change the world around us. If you take a look in your Bibles, you will see that the Bible is full of these call stories. It's full of people that God calls. Sometimes God seems to speak directly to these people. We think of Moses in the burning bush, how God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, you are going to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. Sometimes God seems to call people through other people. Take Esther, for example. God works through her relative Mordecai to call Esther to take a stand and to advocate for her people before the king. She's called to save her people from genocide. Sometimes God's calls just don't seem to make any sense. Take uh, Samuel, for instance. God calls him to anoint a second king of Israel. Saul is the king of Israel. There's already a king, but God calls him and says, mm Saul has upset me. And so I'm calling you, Samuel, to go anoint a new king. And that just didn't really make a lot of sense to Samuel. I don't know if he really wanted to do it. And so God calls Samuel to go to the house of Jesse, and to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. Well, our human understanding and logic would seem that we would choose maybe the oldest son, or the strongest, or the one with the seemingly most uh, able to lead people. Well, who does God call Samuel to anoint? The youngest. The shepherd boy. The one they have to call in from the fields. David, to become king of Israel. As we move into the New Testament, God calls Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. And while we believe that Jesus, from his birth, was the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, even Jesus responds to a call. You see, at Jesus' baptism, The Spirit of God descends upon him and says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And it's after this baptism that Jesus then goes and begins his public ministry. Jesus responds to God's call. And what does Jesus do? He then calls and invites more people to join him and says, come, follow me, put down your nets, leave your families and your livelihoods and follow me. All of these biblical characters are called to some sort of action, to some sort of change that participates in God's healing of the world. These people, they're called sometimes for themselves, but they're also called for more than themselves. They're called for the sake of other people, for community, for the world. As we take a look in church history, we can learn about saints and the things that they did, and how they worked for justice in the world, and how they stood up for piety in the world. They were also called to do good for the sake of others. Even now, many of you would want to know, is my pastor really called to be a pastor? Right? That's a fair question, right? You should ask us that. And we've told, we've, I think, told you parts of it and are happy to talk about our call stories. But that's something that as pastors we wrestle with and we talk about. I serve on the district committee of ordained ministry. And, and what that committee does is we get to meet with people who are sensing a call to ministry. And so we sit down with them and probably the question that we ask more than anything else is, how is God calling you? into the ministry? How do you know that God is calling you into the ministry? How is God calling you to minister with other people, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world? It's easy to read these stories in the Bible and just see them as stories, calls that happened to characters way back when, in another time, in another place. It's easy to to read stories of the saints of old and just think, well, of course they were called. They're way more holy than I will ever be. It's even easy somewhat to look at pastors and to be like, well, they're called, or people that work on staff at churches, well, they're called to be uh, employees of a church. They're called to do that for their job. It's easy to do that. And when we do that, we distance ourselves from the call that God has on our lives. We're distancing ourselves from an invitation to a way of life that will transform our own lives and our communities. Friends, if you take nothing else away from this message today, I want you to know this. God did not just call the people Named in the Bible or in our history books. God does not just call pastors or church employees. God calls all people to union with God and with each other. Friends, that means God is calling you today. God is calling you to participate in what God is doing here on earth. You are called. I am called. We are called together. God has been calling us from the very beginning. When God created us, God created us to be in relationship with God. When we turned away, when our love failed, when we ignored God and walked away, God never left us. God called us back again and again and again into relationship. God has been calling us before we even knew there was a God. And God invites us to live in healthy and whole relationships with God and other people. Brennan Manning says it this way. Do you really accept the message that God is head over hills in love with you? God says, I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to be in relationship with me. Do you believe that God is head over heels in love with you? God is waiting for our response. And so maybe we respond like Peter did. We say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then what? Go and feed my sheep. Go do something, right? Go make a difference in the world. We respond to God through our baptism and our confirmation by accepting the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil and oppression and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves and by trusting in Jesus Christ and in his grace. Bernie Manning describes our response to God's call as a daily decision. Make a radical choice in faith. Despite all your sinfulness, and sustain it through ordinary daily life for Christ the Lord and for his kingdom. Each and every day, we live our lives in response to God's call of love. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, to live as people, listen to that, live as people worthy of the call you received from God. It's true, God calls all of us, each of us human beings, to respond to God. And part of that is that God doesn't call us to live as isolated individuals. John Dunn says, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. God calls us to live as a people, as a community where every person is called by God. Every person is part of the whole. From the beginning, we see that people are created in the image of God to live in relationship with God and with God's creation. And God is a relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, sustainer, it's all a relationship. We, too, are created to live in that. Richard Rohr says we're not of independent substance. We exist only in relationship. Our calls are bound up in each other. God's call on my life, while it might be different than yours, it's not entirely separate from yours. Does that make sense? Our calls can be different because we're individuals, we're unique people, we have different abilities and talents, and yet our calls are not separate. We're living in relationship and all of us responding to God's call on our lives. So since we're in relationship with each other, whether we like it or not, how we treat each other matters. Our love and care for each other may just be more important than anything else we do. All the good deeds we do in the world don't really matter if we don't love. Isn't that what First Corinthians 13 says? If we don't have love or just a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal, how we treat each other in community matters. In Ephesians, we heard these instructions. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. Those instructions are a call to live out Each and every day of our lives, we're called to be humble. I'm always struck by the idea that humility comes from the same root as human. To be human is to remember that we are not God. God is God and we are not. That we are the created. We are part of God's creation. We are the dust of the earth. And yet the God of the universe chooses Relationship with us chooses to work through us. We are human beings with feelings and ideas. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. And oftentimes we have no clue. And we're just figuring it out as we go along. To be in community with each other is to live with that knowledge that we're not always right that our perspective is not the only way to see a situation and that our feelings are not the only ones that matter. To live as people called by God means that we hold intention, our ideas, our perspective, our thoughts, our feelings, and we make room for others. We make room for other people and what they bring to our lives. And we try to hold all that together in tension. We do so with gentleness and with patience. In Galatians 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As we remember that we are human beings with feelings... And other people are human beings with feelings. We're called to be gentle with each other, to be patient with each other. And sometimes that means to be gentle and patient with ourselves. Accept each other with love. Love exists among the relationship that is God. And as we are created in God's image, we are created with the God-given capacity to love. God invites us to love as God loves. Brene Brown and C.S. Lewis remind us that love is actually pretty vulnerable. C.S. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart away to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change your love will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. If we choose not to love, we're not necessarily choosing not to be hurt. If we choose not to love, we're just closing ourselves off from other people. We're closing ourselves off from community and God calls us to accept each other with love to live in relationship with each other to risk love to risk being hurt to risk even causing harm to others with the sake of loving each other finally make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. Just as God is one, God invites us to be one with God, one with each other, and one with all creation. And I like this passage in this translation because it talks about preserve the unity. And I don't know about you, but preservation is actually harder than starting something from scratch. I mean, if you watch an HGTV show, and I love Hometown and Ben and Aaron, and um, they go to great lengths to preserve something old within the house, whether it's old wood or some part of the structure or it's some piece of furniture that they found in a shed out back. They work hard to preserve something old, to take care of it, to maybe clean it up, get all the grime off of it, to repurpose it, to make it more functional and useful in today's time. They put a lot of heart and soul and sweat into preserving something old and giving it new life. And I think that's what God is calling us to do when we are working to preserve unity. That's hard work. We're not just throwing away relationships, but we're actually tending to them. We're cleaning them up. We're working together. We're working to resolve differences. We're working to listen to each other and to learn from each other and to learn how to love. That's hard and messy work. And yet, Paul says that this work of unity is connected to our own peace and wholeness. That at the end of the day, if we're seeking to preserve unity in some strange way, we're actually working for our own health and wholeness and for the wholeness of the world. Mother Teresa reminds us that today, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. That man, that woman, that child is my brother or my sister. Today, if we have no peace, because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. We've forgotten to preserve the unity among each other. God is calling you to be one with God and to be one with other people and to be one with creation, with the qualities of humility, gentleness, patience, peace, And above all, love. In just a few moments, we'll be receiving Holy Communion. And in the mystery of God, God's Spirit is present with us, uniting us, even through these weird wafers and cups of juice. And even though we'll be receiving communion through these individual communion packets, we believe that God's grace is expansive enough to include all of us here today and to bring us together as one. So during communion today, I invite you to look around, to look around at each other, to look around at the other people here in this room. Each one of us is called by God to be part of the people of God. God has called us to be community with each other. And so as you look around, you may see people that you do not know. And because we're wearing masks, you may see people that you don't really recognize what they look like with just half their face showing. Perhaps today you are being called to community, to meet someone new, to get to know someone who is new to you. And maybe as you look around today, you may notice that there are people missing who normally attend this service. Maybe they're traveling, getting in one last summer trip before school starts. Maybe they have COVID concerns. Maybe they've become disconnected from our First Church community. As you look around, perhaps this is an invitation to reach out to that person to reconnect and to let them know that you love them and that you're thinking of them. And finally, as you look around today, you may notice who is not here? Who is not represented in our community or who is underrepresented in our community? Who is not here yet? How might we as a church community Reach out in humility, gentleness, patience, peace, and love. How might we gain greater wholeness by belonging together with new people? Today, you are encouraged to live as people worthy of the call that God has given to you. Friends, how will you respond? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, you are love. And it is only because you love us first that we are even able to love. Pour your love into our hearts this day so that we may go from this place nourished and sustained To love, to work for the healing of your creation. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future.